1: Welcome back Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. The Nobel laureate Elie Wiesel once put it that, quote, Oblivion is to exile as memory is to redemption. Without memory, our existence would be barren and opaque like a prison cell into which no light penetrates like a tomb which rejects the living. Smart man Elie Wiesel, the root of the word oblivion, From the Latin is, after all, forgetfulness. I had occasion to share that quote with you a year ago today. I was looking it up as I was in earnest beginning to truly worry about memory holes and the rewriting of history, American history specifically. You know what a memory hole is, right? We get it from Orwell's book, 1984, which is, I think, in the decisive respect, a book about rewriting history. The memory hole is described as the task of revising or destroying old newspaper articles in order to serve the propaganda of the government. But it's much more than that, as Orwell describes. Documents are put into a pneumatic tube and sent off to the propagandists for editing. And then as Orwell writes, what happened in the unseen labyrinth to which the pneumatic tubes led Winston did not know in detail, but he did know in general terms. As soon as all the corrections which happened to be necessary in any particular number of the times had been assembled and collated, that number would be reprinted, the original copy destroyed, and the corrected copy placed on the files in its stead. This process of continuous alteration was applied not only to newspapers— but to books, periodicals, pamphlets, posters, leaflets, films, soundtracks, cartoons, photographs, to every kind of literature or documentation which might conceivably hold any political or ideological significance. Day by day and almost minute by minute, the past was brought up to date. In this way, every prediction made by the party could be shown by documentary evidence to have been correct. Nor was any item of news or any expression of opinion which conflicted with the needs of the moment ever allowed to remain on record. All history was a palimpsest, scraped clean and reinscribed, exactly as often as necessary. Close quote. The past was brought up to date. That's a chilling phrase. It is the most frightening of lines. And it harkens me back to Karl Marx's statement in his notes on fireback that the task of the philosopher used to be to understand history. It is now to change it, which is why you have revisionist history books like Howard Zinn's, which is why you have a 1619 project being adopted in The New York Times into our classrooms, though it has been widely condemned for its inaccuracies and distortions even by liberal scholars. Which is why you have the U.S. Department of Education bribing schools to impose critical race theory into their classrooms, especially using the works of Ibram X. Kendi. Which is why you have BLM curricula alongside critical race theory curricula alongside 1619 curricula. A whole range of menu options right there that flood the entire zone of choices to study and learn American history with between critical race theory and the BLM Curricula And Howard Zinn in 1619, that's your whole range of menu options for studying American history these days. The problem is its valence runs from socialist revisionism to Marxist revisionism to Marxist race theory from the academy to Marxist race theory from the grassroots organizing level. I didn't get into the ancillary education materials that Netflix and social media networks and other television networks for children are pending, like teaching preschoolers and kindergartners and first graders about all forms of gender and sex, including the verb, not just the noun. That's your zone of educational materials, I presume, with more to come. I've just now only spelled out how American culture is reaching about 25% of our population. Our youth. I haven't even thought about the other seventy five percent or adults just yet, but I can say be it professional or school sports, be it military recruitment or academies, be it major journalism, be it corporate and advertising America, be it about the national anthem or rewarding those who profit off slavery and call police pigs, be it about nearly all of the entertainment industry, that seventy five percent of America, the adults is subject to an awful lot of smoke and haze it can no longer escape or retreat from to think or breathe clearly. And it's all in one massively frightening direction, anti-Americanism, backed up by Marxist doctrine and interpretation. About 25 years or so ago, Michael Medved wrote that to those who say if you don't like the culture, turn it off. If you don't like what's on television, turn it off. You have to understand that you cannot. There are people in Appalachia, he wrote, with no television and no radio that know who Madonna is. That was 25 or so years ago. Why are you smiling? It's worse now. Much. There is no turning the culture off, and the cultural elites, as opposed to then, now also have our schools. What do these people not know or try to memory hole in the name of fundamental transformation or revolution? They do not know or try to memory hole that the entire country was not pro-slavery. They do not know or they try to memory hole that we built, ending the importation of slaves, into our country, into the Constitution, and it was one of the first acts of Congress as soon as it was allowable, and it was signed, the ban on the importation of slaves by President Thomas Jefferson. They do not know, or they try to memory hole, as Professor Tom West put it, that every leading founder acknowledged that slavery was wrong. Although, yes, slavery was legal in practice in every state in 1776, by the end of the founding era, more than a 100,000 slaves had been freed by the outlawing of slavery in seven of the original 13 states or by individual acts of manumission, especially in the South. Most important, the ground for the eventual total abolition of slavery was planted, laid in establishment of the equality principle of the center of the American polity by men with names like Jefferson, Madison, Franklin, Hamilton, Adams, Washington, and other leading founders whose statues statues have been targeted for destruction. The progressives of the day think they know that the opposite is actually true. They do not know or they try to memory hole that not all the country supported slavery. They do not know or they try to memory hole that nearly 400,000 Americans gave up their lives to end slavery, singing, quote, as he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free. And they do not know that or they try to memory hole it because they don't have to any longer teach or sing the battle hymn of the Republic. They do not know or they try to memory hole again that the majority of the country was not slave and the portion of America that fought against slavery was twice, twice, 100 percent larger than the portion of America that fought for slavery. The Union military size was also twice, 100 percent larger than the Confederate military The population in the Union states was three times larger than the population of the Confederacy, but all America, we are told, institutionally racist and guilty, still, for slavery. The progressives, they do not know or they try to memory hole that it was Republicans who pushed for civil rights legislation and anti-lynching legislation and the anti-KKK Act. Laws opposed by Democrats, because we believed in the Declaration of Independence and Constitution as anti-slavery documents, and they believed the Confederacy was right, and that they were pro-slavery documents. They do not know, or they try to memory hole that Minneapolis has a black police chief, a black member of the House of representatives in the district George Floyd was killed in and a Democratic mayor and governor, or that such is true of almost every major city in America, as Republicans are to be blamed for racism. They do not know or they try to memory hole what they are talking about when it comes to police and race. Ask anyone you want, anyone, how many unarmed blacks were killed by police last year. I'd love to know the answers. I had that experiment recently with three friends. The answers ranged from 25 to 50 to someone who said over a 100. This is a well-informed crowd. Mind you, probably more well-informed than 99% of the country. I kid you not. Those answers are what you would expect, though, when you read tripe again and again that police shootings are the number one health risk to African- American lives if not white supremacy you know what the right number is the right answer how many the answer is nine nine too many but nine want to know how many unarmed whites were killed by police last year 19 want to know something else a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. Nobody or virtually nobody knows that or they try to memory hole it. If they do, why is it important? Institutional racism is the answer. That is the problem we are now told requires a massive set of solutions. Google that phrase, institutional racism. You'll get millions of results. To start with, you'll get millions of results. Name me an institution that is America. Excuse me. Name me an institution, though, in America that is racist. If there's institutionalized racism, name me the institution that is today racist, please. Police departments, you may say. You have 3,000 members of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, heads of police departments. You have black leadership of police, chiefs of police in major cities from Chicago to Atlanta to right here in Phoenix. Good. I'm proud of all that because we've been told a lie that we are a more racist society than ever before, and that such racism is institutionalized. It's just not true. It's impossible to be true. Again, please name me the institution that is racist. (coughs) But if by racist you mean being judged by the color of your skin or ethnicity, well, there is one institution that is. It's called college admissions. But it's not against African Americans or even Hispanic Americans. You cannot find me a college or, for that matter, a major corporation, That having two candidates for admission or a job with exactly the same qualifications on paper, say GPA and SAT scores, if we're talking college, where the competition for one slot will not go to that racial minority is nearly an impossibility in this country. Of course, it almost always will, good or bad, right or wrong. The case in America today is that that job goes to the minority candidate. More racist today than ever before? Institutional racism? Jeff Jacoby gives us the numbers. In 1958, less than 50% of white Americans said that if black people lived next door, they would be more likely to move. 48%, just under 50% of Americans said they would be likely to move if a black person moved next door. By 1978, that number was 13%. By 1997, that proportion had fallen to 1%. That's only one measure of racism's profound decline. Friendship is another. In 1964, a mere 18% of white Americans claimed to have a friend who was black. Four decades later, Gallup found... The proportion of interracial friendships had more than quadrupled. 80 per, 82% of whites said they had close non-white friends, and 88% of blacks reported having close friends who were not black. More racist than ever before? Only if you want a permanent revolution that recognizes no advancement, which is to say only if you want to live in a lie. I do not understand why we are told it is wrong to judge someone and their experience, but it's okay for a lot of those someones to judge me and think they know me and my inner thoughts based on my color or experience. I do not understand why we obsess on a country a portion of which had slavery and a majority of which did not, and that ended with the deaths of hundreds of thousands of white men 160 years ago. I don't understand why we would think of that country as unalterably racist and responsible for racism when countries that practice slavery and genocide today get a free pass. in fact, defense and contracts with professional athletes. I do not understand why I, who come from one of the most abused people in the world, need instruction and lecturing on the sensitivity of abuse. I do not understand why we act and think as if this is an S-hole country when it is the country, everyone in a literal s whole country wants to come to. You know, this week we commemorate the anniversary of the Tiananmen protests and massacre. Anybody stop and think to ask why in 1989 those brave Chinese dissidents rose up with papier-mâché statues of liberty and copies of the Declaration of Independence? Or why dissidents in Hong Kong today sing the national anthem, even though Colin Kaepernick and his followers will not and the NBA forbids retweeting support for all that. Because they, in Hong Kong, in Tiananmen, they knew what most foreigners know about America. As the Marquis de Lafayette put it once, we won our revolution. Humanity has won its battle. Liberty now has a country. Indeed, it did and does. And the only way to know that or to unlearn that is, as I said at the beginning, to put memory into exile. And once you do that, you reap oblivion. I'd like to think humanity and liberty are worth a little more, indeed a lot more, than oblivion. Stand up against the culture, please. I know it's hard, but tyranny, like hell, as Thomas Paine said, is not easily overcome. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That is the dulcet voice of Sonny Curtis, who performed the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. He was also one of Buddy Holly's Crickets, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. The Crickets was the band. He was a member of that band. Is that a little fun information for you? Here's some good information. Uh, Good to see. We talked a lot yesterday and had many callers, several callers, on the protest uh, in Scottsdale uh, at the hotel that is being used to um, house some 1,200 illegal immigrants. And I uh, wanted to tell you two things about that, three things about that. First, Mark Bernavich our attorney general, will be joining us today to talk about it, the issue and what he's doing about it. Two, got a uh, nice report from someone who was at the rally yesterday in front of the Homewood Suites in Scottsdale. He writes, quote, the rally was an immense success. It was reported on both local television and radio. We attended with six to 700 other peaceful citizens. That's a big group. From not only Scottsdale, but the rest of the valley. To me, the response and our interaction with the drivers of cars traveling south on Scottsdale Road was the highlight. 90% thumbs up. Windows rolled down. Shouting Positives. I love that. I love that. All the patriots present yesterday are intending to come again today, 5 p.m., to have your voices heard and add to the number of concerned fellow citizens. Same place, Homewood Suites Hotel, 9880 North Scottsdale Road. Thank you, uh, John, for sending me that. And if anyone wants to report on what they saw there yesterday, I'd love to hear about it. Or if you're going again today and why, let me know. I'm at 602 508 0960, and I'll be right back. What's called the origin story, or the story about the origins of the coronavirus? What's been revealed from the publication of Anthony Fauci's emails, um, the whole issue of gain-of-function research, Americans' funding of this, and the media's silence and, in fact, condemnation of those who were asking these questions a year ago, is a story that seems not to go away. And here's something I did not know. It's a big story in a lot of places. Guess where it's nowheresville. This is this is probably the biggest story in America for going on seventy two hours. Probably it is. Anthony Fauci's thousands of emails, what he said, what he said to friends and colleagues as distinct from what he said he said to the president, as distinct from what he said to the American people. This being the man who everyone has invested, not everyone, but every elite has invested coronavirus expertise to. A man who has admitted to misleading the American public on other issues, including herd immunity, because they weren't ready to hear it. Guess who hasn't published a beep about this? The New York Times. I didn't know that. Alex Berenson tweets, I guess I'm still a little shocked because I'm shocked that the New York Times would rather ignore the Fauci emails and their implications than acknowledge that people like Tom Cotton and Rand Paul and Republicans, other Republicans, might have been correct. This isn't Hunter Biden's laptop. This isn't the son of a politician trading on his dad's name. That was gross. This is evidence that the man who essentially ran our pandemic response secretly tried to keep investigations into its origins politically impossible. Let me repeat that. The man who essentially ran our pandemic response secretly tried to keep investigations into its origins politically impossible. Let's come back to that in a moment from the first Fauci made sure he was at the very center of everything, both the public face and the private heart of the U.S. pandemic response. I assumed that was because he liked the limelight, wanted to be in charge, but the emails suggest he had other motives, too. So let's come back to this notion that the man who essentially ran our pandemic response secretly tried to keep investigations into, into its origins politically impossible. People say, well, why do we care what its origins were? We know it came out of China, and we now know how to prevent it. Plus, we have the vaccine. Is that all there is here? Really? Is that all there is? Center's... For Disease Control and Prevention is the full name of the CDC. It's really, if you think about it, CDCMP. Prevention. How do you prevent something from happening again? How do you prevent something from happening again if you don't know how it started or how it began? You could ask this question of so many things, it seems to me, for years and years and years and years and years, decades, really. Since 1945, people would ask, how could it happen? How could that happen in Germany? How could that happen? And then, of course, scholars would outline the various steps that led to the nightmare of the Third Reich. And there's any number of things for, um, uh, that, 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 that can be cited as, as, as getting you to the road of the Third Reich. From genetic selection, to human experimentation, to notions of racial superiority, and just as importantly, racial inferiority. To the notion that if you don't speak up for your fellow prosecutee, or your fellow citizen who's being prosecuted, there will someday be no one left to speak up for you, as Martin Niemöller wrote. All of these things, including acceptances of big lies, all of these things lead to that. How can it happen? Origins. Origins are important. That's why we need to know. And did we have a part in paying for it? It'd be a good thing to know as we approach budget negotiations, wouldn't it? The origin of this virus is important beyond peradventure that the New York Times won't write about it tells me something equally, if not more, important. Great option for so many homes in Phoenix and the Valley of the Sun, for they help insulate from the extreme heat. But they also help insulate your home from noise, and most importantly, from WaterLeaks. I know these folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been down to their offices and warehouses and gotten to meet them. Great people. Amazing work ethic. That's why they have an A-plus rating at the BBB. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. And right now is the perfect time for foam recoats. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480 480- Four eight three one seven seven five. that's four eight zero four eight three one seven seven five. or find them online at tradesunlimited.com. That's tradesunlimited.com. Lucky is in Phoenix. Hello, lucky.
2: Hey, how are you?:
1: I'm fine. One would want to ask how you are, but with that name, we always know how you are.:
2: Well, I try to be lucky every day in every way.:
1: Isn't that beautiful?
2: I thank you so much for what you do in your show. It really is my island of sanity every single day.
1: Well, thank you, Lucky.
2: I was at the rally yesterday, and it was loud and enthusiastic and filled with people of every age and signs and American flags and energy that was just palpable. It was wonderful to see after all of these videos of people marching for Black Lives Matter and riots and everything. It was just a dose of wonderful patriotism. Well,
1: you know, the funny thing about these things, um, Lucky, that I want us to step back, and maybe it's easier for me to do than some others. I don't know. But I look at these things, patriotism, that's a good word. Because it it means love these 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 are stories of love i don 't know why people think that we are a um, we are a movement of anger, bitterness, and hate i, I don 't understand this. You went to these rallies you 've been to these rallies. you heard the email that I read. These are people who are in love with America and human rights and things decent. And sometimes you have to show up and stand up and even fight for those things. That does not make you angry or bitter. That makes you someone willing to fight and sacrifice for love and good, no?
2: Absolutely. It is what this um, country was founded on, bravery and courage. Um, where is the energy from the people that fought World War Two and World War One, and the veterans and stand up for freedom and beauty and um, just being able to speak your truth. I, I don't know where they've gone.
1: I, I do. I do. I know where they've gone. First of all, Lucky, thank you. There, there's there's a lot more than we know. Um, a lot of them have been intimidated from speaking up, which is a crime, a moral crime. A lot of them have been intimidated from speaking their truth. More often, it's the truth. But in an age that seems to venerate your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, their truth. It's odd that a truth cannot be uttered, and it's truths that conservatives speak, <clears throat> as I say, often more closely to the truth than anyone's interpretation of an opinion or a fact. That that That's one thing that's interesting to me about all this. The other thing that's interesting to me about all this is there has been a concerted effort to diminish that feeling. I was researching this just a little bit between uh, segments a day or two ago when we were talking about the state of patriotism in America and Gallup. I think they're the best that track it. They have shown a steady decline in people who want to stand up and say they are proud or very proud of this country. That, too, is a moral crime when you are thinking about the greatest country in the history of the world, which we are proud to be born in or immigrate to. And in some respects, even kind of though we may not say it out loud, we all feel a certain pride that we are the country people want to come to, even if illegally there is a pride in that, there is a pride in knowing that we have the best, but when you have the best, you want to protect it, do you not? And keep it that way so that it will be that way for our future generations. Helen Caldicott, who's a leftist, used to have this line I've always thought could be applicable for our movement as well. We did not inherit this world from our forefathers. We are protecting it for our progeny. And I think that's A perfectly reasonable sentiment for our movement, too. We're trying to protect this great experiment. How would you identify the great experiment? How would you describe it? A country that believed in human and natural right. A a country that believes that liberty, freedom, and equality are endowed upon you, not by government, But by the very virtue of you being a human being, as it is our job to create the government and protect and preserve it to ensure that those rights are guaranteed. Just because we live in a country with laws and parties and elections and rules and leaders doesn't necessarily mean we live in a country that is consonant with our founding, or that is consonant with everything we say we are. Thomas Jefferson did warn we could engage ourselves in an elected despotism. We could. As Ronald Reagan liked to remind, do I fear tyranny here? Of course I do, because we have an ever-growing government here, and tyranny can only come from the government. So what are we on guard for? What are we standing up for? Why are we going to protests? Why are we doing all that? Because we have a love affair with our fellow citizens and this country. And for that, we're not going to apologize and we're not going to stop standing and we're not going to stop marching. Be right back. Welcome back. I'm not sure if we are the most pro-dog-friendly radio show in the country. We would aim to be and delight in being that. We strive to be. Because we love uh, dogs here. It uh, was, is with heavy heart that I tell you about a dog I got to know that just passed and uh, slipped the surly bonds of Earth today. It was a um, Bure Terrier named Gucci, who I knew very, very well. Just a good little girl. And immediately when these things tear us apart and they go to doggy heaven, I always think of two things. I think of Rudyard Kipling's poem, The Power of the Dog, where he concludes, We've sorrow enough in the natural way when it comes to burying Christian clay. Our loves are not given but only lent. At compound interest of cent per cent, though it is not always the case, I believe, that the longer we've kept them, the more we do grieve, for when debts are payable, right or wrong, a short-time loan is as bad as long. So why, in heaven, before we are there, should we give our hearts to a dog to tear? Am I going to make it with the audio I want to play? It's Jimmy Stewart talking about his dog's passing bow and the poem he wrote for him on Johnny Carson
0: the title of it is it's Bo that's, that's the name of the dog he never came to me when I would call unless I had a tennis ball or he felt like it but, <laughs> but mo- mostly he didn't come at all when, when he was young he never learned to heal or sit or stay he did things his way discipline was not his bag but when you were with him Thing sure didn't drag. He'd dig up a rose bush just to spite me, and when I'd grab him, he'd turn and bite me. He bit lots of folks from day to day. the The, the delivery boy was his favorite prey. The gas man wouldn't read our meter. He said we owned a real man-eater. He set the house on fire. But the story's long to tell. The Suffice to say that he survived, and the house survived as well. And on evening walks, and Gloria took him, he was always first out the door. The old one and I brought up the rear because our bones were sore. And he'd charge up the street with Mom hanging on. What a beautiful pair they were. And if it was still light and the tourists were out, they created a bit of a stir. But every once in a while he'd stop in his tracks and, with a frown on his face, look around. It was just to make sure that the old one was there to follow him where he was bound we're We're early to betters in our house, I guess I'm the first to retire and as I'd leave the room, he'd look at me and get up from his place by the fire. He knew where the tennis balls were upstairs, and I'd give him one for a while and He'd push it under the bed with his nose, and I'd dig it out with a smile. But before very long, he'd tire of the ball, and he'd be asleep in his corner in no time at all. And there were nights when I'd feel him climb upon our bed and lie between us, and I'd pat his head. And there were nights when I'd feel this stare, and... I'd wake up and he'd be sitting there and I'd reach out to stroke his hair and sometimes I'd feel him sigh and I think I know the reason why. He'd, he'd wake up at night and he would have this fear of the dark, of life, of lots of things and he'd be glad to have me near. And now he's dead. And There are nights when I think I feel him climb upon our bed and lie between us and I pat his head. And there are nights when I I think I feel that stare and I reach out my hand to stroke his hair and he's not there. Oh, how I wish that wasn't so. I'll always love a dog named Bo.